You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. And what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast, the Ohio Outdoors Podcast. Andrew and Paul, back at it again. Dynamic, Dynamic duo. duo. Oh, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was on Dan Johnson's show this week, and uh, he called me the magic man. I don't know what the hell he was talking about, but thanks, Dan. Appreciate that. So, Magic I'll, man. We'll stick with that. Women love you. Children fear you. So, Paul, wh- what have you been up to, buddy? Anything fun? Just schlubbing around like the rest of us. Andrew, I did something pretty neat today. Uh, I did uh, a podcast for the NWTF. Oh. on uh the new initiative that came out the rfp program which is the request for proposal uh we've funded uh 1.25 million dollars worth of research so far this year we're going to fund um it's going to be about about eight eight million in research over the next year year and a half for wild turkey research across this country so i got to talk with our director of conservation which was really neat we're doing a three or four part series we got a new initiative coming out the habitat for the hatch initiative that that i'm going to be talking about on the podcast platform uh with the nwtf so that was pretty neat man enjoyed enjoyed that so check that out turkey call all access that's awesome and i've seen yeah, a man. lot of pictures on social media and stuff and videos of, of poults running around with uh yeah. with hens so that's a good sign and it's too early to tell, right, how the hatch went, but, uh, yeah, we'll see how that... Get them off the ground, man. Yep. I, I don't know where they're at in terms of, like, size, but, yeah, it takes two weeks for a whole pole to be able to fly. Just broke my chair. Hang on um, there, big guy. Yeah, dude. So, that's it, man. That's what that's what I've been up to. I'm I'm glad to be, be home, feet firmly planted on the ground here uh, in Ohio, so... Well, I got a couple things for you. So, I actually got my bow out and started... Hammering the targets, things are going well. Starting to get used to that new site. Getting ready for archery hike coming up, which archeryhike.com, July seventh, eighth, and ninth, I believe, are the dates. Uh, so this show that we're, you know, uh, this show is going to drop on July fifth. Happy Fourth of July to all of you. Late Fourth yes. of July. Happy Late Fourth of July. Um, so it's going to drop July fifth. So like two days, you have to sign up for archery hike um, and get down there. But Anywho, getting ready for that. So that was exciting. I'm, I'm actually feeling pretty good, which means the next time I go out, I'll be 
losing arrows, but um, you and I were just talking, Paul. All right. So yes, we are the Ohio Outdoors podcast, but I've been going over to Pennsylvania for a few years um, to hunt over there and Trader. Uh, yes. And I went, they opened up their license sales this week and they, let's say if you've never done Pennsylvania licensing in the past, it's been very old school and you had to send in these envelopes, these pink envelopes and um, whatever. But this year they're doing a lot more stuff online. Um, Paul, I went, I think it was about 10 o'clock in the morning onto their website. I had to put my name in the queue because there was 92,000 plus people ahead of me. Holy cow. And they were going to send me an email. And I had, (laughs) once I got that email, I had 10 minutes to hit the link to get in line and to, you know, get in my spot to get my license. Yeah. I got that email at like eight o'clock at night. It took that long. for It took like 10 hours. It was incredible. Um, so Hey, it did work. Okay. I got, I got everything taken care of and all in good time, but man, that was, uh, quite the doozy. So here's my other story for you, Paul. Yeah. I think I kind of told you about it. I know I told you about it, but I had to go out to Oregon for work last week and, uh, on my way back. So I've, I'm just going to tell the story how it goes because that's what it is. I have my backpack, right? And I, this backpack is is one that I generally I use for a lot of things. It's a nice stone glacier backpack, and I find it comfortable and carries a lot of stuff. And so it's my day to day bag. Okay, I conceal and carry. A lot of times I have have my uh, firearm in there, and uh, but then I, I I've obviously tried to clean the bag out as well as I could. But I've also taken this bag on hunting trips and different things. Anywho, so clean the bag out before I leave take all my you know travel stuff fly to portland uh do my thing out there in in grass seed world go to come back through the airport in portland okay and now if you haven't tr- traveled on an airplane lately they have the, the little bomb sniffing dogs go past you which i'm totally on board with all that you know let's be safe uh no problems there we get through this this line and the guy and uh, that i was traveling with i said to him i said you know it always makes me a little bit nervous when i go through this stuff because this bag that I carry, uh, you know, I normally have um, my firearm in it, but uh, I don't know if there's residual or anything that could be in the bag that would set one of these dogs off or some kind of sensor or something like that. But I, I got right through, no problem. Put the bag up on the x-ray table, goes through, the bag gets pulled aside. I'm like, okay, this isn't the first time I've been patted down or anything in an airport because I look really suspicious, but whatever, again, safety, not worry about it. I got time. I got plenty of time before the plane goes out. That bag sits there. The bag sits there. And I think it was about 15 minutes. Um, Finally, some supervisor lady comes over. She's like, is this your bag? I'm like, yeah. So she takes it. She's like, I might have to go through it. That's fine. I don't, I don't, there's nothing in there. She dives right in there. She knew right where she was going and pulls out a six, five Creedmoor round that was (laughs) at the bottom (laughs) of my bag. And I'm one of those people that, in a weird situation like that, where I should have had this like ghostly look on my face, all I could do is smile. And I just had this huge smile and grin on my face. And I'm like, stop smiling, Andrew. Stop smiling. What are you doing? Like, I look at the guy next to me. Oh, and he's like, God. are you are you serious? And now the lady just took it. And I'm guessing. Okay, first of all, I know that was in there from when I went to Oklahoma. 
it's been in there since then. I didn't realize it was in there, but that had to have been when it when it fell out or something. Um, had no intentions of having that in my bag. I somehow it got through from you know Columbus over to Portland, but nonetheless, lady's like, I'm just gonna I'm gonna have to take this from you, and I'm like, uh, yeah, absolutely. Don't detain me here in Portland. That's the last place I really want to be stuck. Um, she took it out, gave me the bag back, no problems. <laughs> so, uh, I, it was one of those things though, that like, man, it gets your heart going. And yeah. then I think I texted the, the group, our buddies down there, go wild there, you know, yeah. have to make a joke out of it. You know, Andrew, there's uh easier ways to get cavity searches than uh jamming bullets up your ass. So <laughs> just, uh, she, she should have like, Oh, look at this hunting dish here. Six, five round. Right. I wonder. I do wonder how often that happens. And I mean, obviously it's not, I didn't have, it was, I didn't have a gun, anything with me, nothing close. Right. Um, but I, there's always that idea and my luck, the primer would have got popped and all shit would have hit the fan. But the, oh my God. um, being that Oregon is kind of an area for big game hunting. I, I wonder if that doesn't happen more often where, um, you know, a rogue, Rogue round just makes its way into a bag, and yeah, I you know obviously they they weren't that tore up about it. They just took it and moved on with their day. Yep, and that was fine, and yeah. I appreciate it. And trust me, it will yeah. not happen again. Um, man, what a day! Well, Andrew, let's pay the bills, man. Halfrack dot com, half dash rack dot com. Ohio Outdoors fifteen per Ohio Outdoors fifteen. Save yourself fifteen percent on every order that you've got. They've got a ton of stuff if you're working on. On your land this year, we're going to talk a lot about working on land, Andrew. Get all sorts of stuff for the uh, land manager, for the hunter. I talked for this on our episode uh, last week. Their t-shirt game is real strong at Half Rack. So check them out at half-rack.com, Ohio Outdoors 15. Yep. And then time to go wild.com or download the Go Wild app on your favorite platform. But this is your online social media for hunters and anglers uh these guys got all kinds of stuff going on here so um different avenues to go down hunting turkey hunting bass fishing whitetail deer houndsmen mobile hunting uh they've got online commerce so some things you can pick up there actually a lot of things um you got they've been upgrading their fishing line galore man so that's definitely something to check out trail cams all that kind of stuff if you're looking for that heading into um the fall Definitely check out go out uh, time to go wild.com. Uh, first light. Thanks to our guys over there dropping some new logo wear. Uh, that trace system that will be if it if it ever gets hot, uh, that would be a great option there for the early season. Um, when it comes to getting out there, so yeah, they got some good, they got some those those. I got to get that system, but uh, midwestgunworks.com if you are into the shooting sports. If you're trying to get your deer rifle or shotgun ready for the season, duck gun ready for the season, need some gunsmithing work. They've got a fantastic uh, in-house gunsmithing department, the parts finder. They have a ton of options uh, for, for parts. If you're working on something obscure, something weird or something uh, is run of the mill is a winter Remington eight seventy. I almost said Winchester eight seventy. Can you, imagine the hate that i would got if i would have said winchester 870 uh god settle down remington 870 midwestgunworks.com ohio outdoors five save your five yourself five percent on every uh purchase that you make ohio bha we're going to be at muster in the marsh 
July 21st to the 23rd in Conneaut. That was my sign. Oh, also for X Vision. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Fin- no, no, fin- no. I thought the- you were telling me to stop. Fin- I'm no, like, well, no, no. it's gonna be it's gonna be great. I'm looking at their Instagram right now. Ryan <laughs> Callahan's gonna be yeah. and look, we're on we're on the I saw that. Yeah, look at us, man. Oh. Look at us. Taking care of us. Appreciate you guys. So yeah, you can visit backcountryhunterandanglers.com to become a member today of the of, of the BHA, or you can visit muster M U S T E R in the marsh dot com uh to get your tickets. Gonna be one hell of an event. Yeah, and uh, we had Henry from the BA, Ohio BHA on a couple weeks ago. So, or maybe that was, that was a couple weeks ago. Uh, hop back there. If you got any more information, he's in the intro with us. Um, but finally we got X vision is our, uh, final partner there. So just getting, man, I need to get out and use that more, but, uh, I'm really contemplating one of these thermal monoculars there, Paul, because I think this thing's pretty slick, really handy just to pop that up and, and go, but yeah. awesome for your thermal vision, night vision, binos, range finders, all kinds of stuff. So, xvisionoptics.com. So, uh, what a group! What a group! And also, just quick shout out uh, to the to the guys at Redfin Polarized. Those glasses are phenomenal. They're some if if you were an angler, I'm telling you, their polarized glasses are second to none. And I've had all of them. I've had Costas. I've had Ray Bans. I've had Oakleys. I've all those. Their their glass and their sunglasses is amazing. Absolutely amazing. That's it. I'm done. All done. So this week we've got Greg. Two news stories. Two new. Two new. Oh, I forgot all about the news. Yeah, zip it, man. Let's roll it. All right, real quick. Two news stories. Uh, ODNR dedicating the Little Darby Creek as a state nature preserve. Um, So actually that happened today. But if you'd like to read more about it, um, OhioDNR.gov. And then something that more people are probably interested in. Oh, that's not fair. I shouldn't say that. Uh, but applying in July for Ohio's controlled hunting opportunities. So uh, starting on Saturday, July 1st, um, you'll have the ability to apply for the hunting lotteries for deer, waterfowl, doves, and more on public land for 2023-2024 season. And that application period goes until July 31st. So take advantage of that. It's a good deal. There's lots of options out there across the state. Um, so as this airs, we will have uh, have that open. But all right, Paul, on to today's episode. Greg Kazmierski. How do I say that? You've got it down. No, I don't. Because I've oh, got, you suck. You I talk it about it right, right in the beginning. Yeah, in in the beginning. So Greg is uh, uh, works for. Ohio Whitetail Partners Land Manager. This is his second time on the program. We had a great conversation about what you as land managers can be doing right now. Travel corridors, hunter access, bedding area establishment. We dive deep into public land, summertime scouting. Great talk with Greg. Thank you so much, Greg, for your time. Really appreciate it. So uh, this will kind of be the rotation for our Whitetail series. We're going to have a land, some land talk, some habitat work talk, um, We'll have some techniques, some strategy, some gear talk. We're gonna we're gonna roll our whitetail series out here uh and, and get you guys up to speed for whitetail season here in the Buckeye state. Yeah. And I think that we're gonna try to get some guys on to talk about uh hunting in, in different states. So if if it's uh hunting out of state is something you've been interested in, maybe you've been a little bit apprehensive, we get some of the surrounding guys to give us a rundown of you know, just a general layout of their states and different regulations. Yeah. Dude, cat's like out that. of the bag for me hunting out of state. I 
I avoided it for years, dude. I it's it's like my I I love it. It's so much fun. It's new territory. It's new people. It's new memories. Same animals, right? Same turkeys or you know, deer or whatever. But I, the the new if the new terrain is what really like really excites me hunting out of out of state. It just is new areas, and it's you know you can do it cheap. You can do it affordable. We're going to dive into that for sure. So. Cool. Well, we appreciate everybody. Uh, hop on. Give us a review um, if you get a chance. Find us on Instagram. It's the.o2.podcast, uh, the02podcast.com. Go wild. It's o2podcast. Besides that, man, it's, uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to us. Let us know what we're doing good, bad, whatever, and uh, we'll go from there. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right, all right, everybody. Greg. Say all of that that yeah. you just did again, word uh, for word. Hold on, before Andrew, did, Andrew didn't hit record. No, we're starting. No, before we're we get started, before he goes into that again. Okay, I have to tell you, Greg, and I shared this with Paul and our buddy Josh Rayleigh the other day. Um, but I'm trying. I was trying to get you booked on the show, and mm-hmm. another guy. Uh, this is this might be my other um, land management guy. Guy's name's Greg. Also. So you're Greg Kazmierski, and this is Greg Kedzierski, okay, K-E-D. Oh, wow. Yeah. So do you want to know how bad that was screwing with my head when I was looking through emails and stuff trying to find Greg? Wait, which Greg is that or which Greg is that? Which one? Because I think we're going to try to talk to him in a couple weeks, and it's like, wait, I got to send the right link to the right person. And, oh, man, (laughs) I was like, I was pulling my hair out last night. Oh, man. So all that said. We got Greg back. Two so, time. Greg, second time on the show, man. Thanks, thanks for coming on. I, I'm, I'm going to touch on real quick what you just said before, um, prior to, to recording. You were you were basically talking about how at this point in the year, and we're this is the third week of June or the, the end of June that we're recording this, that the the time for big habitat improvement projects has has kind of come and gone. Um, why is that? Touch on that real quick. Uh, so there's a few reasons why it's not, I'm not saying that, you know, you can't get out there and still implement these projects if you desire to. Uh, one big reason is just the enjoyment side of it. Uh, you know, things get really thick and alive in Ohio in the summertime and going out in the woods can be really just unfriendly. Uh, you're going to get folks stabbed, cut, whatever you can really draw up is going to happen to you. And outside of that, uh, if you are going to go in there and say you want to implement like a new bedding area, um, one is the, are the deer going to use that come season? Is it going to develop enough that they're going to feel comfortable using it? And two, if you go and start making these major changes into deer summer, summer patterns and routines, um, is it going to cause too much of a hassle on your property that, they're going to kind of like bug out and you're going to do more harm than you are going to do good on the property. So it's just like every property is going to be different. You know, if you're working on a six, 700 acre monster piece of property, you can do these kind of things in stages. But if you only say have, you know, 20, 30 acres to work with, that's kind of your bread and butter right there. And you, you want to preserve it for all that it's worth for that optimal time of the season. So I know the last time you were on, Greg, we were uh, kind of finishing up the end of the hunting season or late winter. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of because I remember sitting here saying, OK, when I sit in the tree, I'm looking at all the different things I, I need to do. Right. Um, so 
ideally then you're saying everybody, mm-hmm. you should have been working on those projects this spring, getting things in the ground, clearing areas out, all that kind of stuff. And at this point we are just kind of going to step back from the big projects in general. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, uh, so like for us, we do us as I mean, like all the guys that we have at whitetail partners, we're doing a lot of our property visits in like that January to right about Memorial day timeframe. Uh, just one, because like you said, towards the end of hunting season, when you're sitting up in the tree, you can see everything. And it's really nice to be able to walk a property with a landowner and have them pretty much tell you, this is what goes on right now during hunting season. And then uh, me as a consultant, I can look around and say, okay, I know exactly where we need to draw up all of these projects to make this property even better. Um, so it's just a lot easier during that time frame, and you have more access to the property. You're not at all concerned about really what are you doing to the deer because you have so long until it matters again that that's the time for like that mass intrusion. And going back to like the bedding area type thing, you're giving that area time for all of that spring green up to grow around it and then the deer are going to kind of use it as they like to use it and how they want to use it and by the time hunting season rolls around they're going to be so comfortable in it because they've been using it you know at that point for six seven months and nobody's been bothering it so it's really just that how comfortable are the deer now on those big projects compared if you would have done them three four months ago all right. Selfishly, is it too late to plant Sudan grass if I want to create a wall? So I think, well, that's what's so tricky. Like this year, you know, um, man, it's been so dry that anybody that planted anything in the springtime, is it worth anything right now? And obviously it's different everywhere you go and like what type of access you have to be able to water your projects and everything like that. Uh, but you are going to be able to catch that second window uh, come like the August planting, um, where you can still potentially get it. But man, again, with how dry it's been, it's like, are we going to get any kind of like sustainable amount of rain that it's worth planting? Or I don't know. It's, uh, it's one of those things when you're at the mercy of mother nature, there's only so much you can, so much advice you can give before you just got to kind of plant and pray, I guess you could say. (laughs) I'll tell you what, if plants grew off a wildfire smoke from Canada, they'd be 10 feet tall, you know, the day after you planted them. Right. Maybe maybe that's how the the bucks grow their antlers, too, is from that wildfire smoke. Then we'll all be in luck. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that then. So, all right, so we're not doing major projects at this point. But there's still a lot to do. Yes. Yes, definitely. So, you, you had mentioned bedding areas when, when when do deer establish their their bedding areas i mean is that just something they're moved around all year or do you see they're like pretty defined areas now and they're going to maintain those areas for for the their duration of the hunting season yeah so i think with like uh if you're talking about like doe families things like that if they can get into a bedding area where they're going to have pretty much bedding revolves around food in my opinion And if you can get a good centrally located bedding area for a doe family where they can have all season food and it might be a different direction, but within like a relatively close distance, they're going to be comfortable living in that area all year long. Uh, You're going to have like those micro shifts and everything, depending on 
what's the dominant food source. I mean, like right now, you know, you can go out and drive around all these ag fields and you see deer every single night. And I'm sure that on those unpressured pieces of farmland that nobody's ever going out in those woodlots, well, those deer don't have a problem bedding, you know, 50, 75 yards off the wood line because nobody's bothering them. And they don't want to do any more work than they have to to go from bed to food, especially in these warmer summer months. Um, so I think as long as those bedding areas have that year-round food, they're going to stick to it. Uh, but when it comes to like the bucks, I feel like they're more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like they're not going to put up with as much and they are going to change things a lot faster is what I've noticed. Uh, they'll bounce around and they just kind of, I feel like those bucks are always using the does as almost like little pawns on a chessboard and they're letting either those does or the young bucks be like, okay, you go out in that field first and let me know if there's anything that's going to be out there to get me and I'll sneak out behind you. And it's the same thing when they're out on an open oak ridge later on in the fall. So I think those bucks kind of move a little bit more than those doe families uh, in a long wraparound way to answer your question there. So one of the things I was just thinking about, um, and maybe this is a more of a biology, biological question how do fawns affect any of this habitat or do they um i mean because i'll have pictures i'm really good at getting pictures of does by the way but um mm. i'll have a doe and she'll have the fawn and a couple of days later you know i'm sure the fawn's nearby i'm assuming it's the same doe um but then she's not there the fawn's not there for a couple of days and i'm like oh great coyote got her or something but then she's back and um mm. I don't know how does that affect their patterns and you know just in, in building habitat because I'm I've always been kind of one of those believers if you find the does the bucks will you know you'll find the bucks when the time is right but yep. I know, and I know that's not everybody's philosophy but do the fawns play into this at all when they're you know at this very young stage? Uh, you know I think that's going to be situational uh, kind of like back to like that centralized doe or bedding area where the doe families are going to hang out it the does are always going to have like those fawning areas uh, that they like to drop their fawns and keep them during the springtime and that's just going to be places that instinctively those moms feel like their their fawn is going to be able to make it through the spring until they're a little bit more independent come fall um, obviously like you were saying there's a lot more biology that goes into that but just from like my observations uh, I started I actually started running more trail cameras in the springtime now to start to try to key in on those fawn drop dates because of that cycle. You can date it back to when that specific doe was going into heat back in the fall. And if she does have that annual bedding where she's sticking in one core area, that allows me come that pre-rut rut phase to almost predict when she's going to go into heat. And then you can kind of know you're like you're stacking those odds in your favor of like, okay, this doe bedding area is going to be better on October 28th because of the timeline when this, when this fawn dropped. That's good. That, that yeah, that blew my mind. And, and maybe that's a pretty standard practice in deer hunting, Andrew and Greg. Did I, I lose know. you guys there? Oh, you're, you're still there. No, you're good. You're good. Yeah, gotcha. You froze on the screen, us? but can you hear us? So you're gonna take the your your trail cam picture, see the where the fawn was was dropped, and we'll just say it was you know June first, and you're gonna go back. What is it? 
how, many, how many days? Two hundred and ten days, I believe it is. Is the exact is the exact number? Okay, two hundred and ten days. You go back, and you're saying it'd be like October twenty eighth or whatever. So then that'll give you mm-hmm. some idea. Is that is that pretty standard that they basically go into estrus the same time every year? Do you know? The the same dough will like relatively close to it um, because it I don't know and I don't want to like dive too far into like this biology standpoint because I'm not a biologist uh, I just go based off of the information that like I can find online and I from what I've seen just like from my visual experience in the woods is that yes those those does are typically going into into heat at that same time every year and even if i can narrow it down you know to a couple of days for me that's like all the information i need to know like okay i'm stacking the odds in my favor to dive in to the downwind side of this doe bedding area because i have a pretty good idea that that doe or a collection of those does are going to start to go into heat and greg i'm going to agree with you hundred percent because I've, I feel like I've seen the same thing. So, um, it, yeah. might, it might just be internet fodder or, uh, at least I, I will agree with you. So good. That's all. As long as I got somebody <laughs> else out there that tells me I'm not crazy, that means that I'm, I'm doing something right. He's going to review all this trail cam pictures for the last five years tonight, Greg, you've just yep. wrecked his sleep. So. <laughs> you know what though? There's yeah. something else you said in there. I don't know why, but it just dawned on me, Paul, one of the properties I've got a camera out and it stays out all year long. I haven't seen a fawn yet out there. I don't know if hmm. that's uh it's probably not a good thing, but yeah. I don't know. I'll have to work, Biological work something or other happening out there. I don't know. Um so Greg, <laughs> let's let's dive into uh your bread and butter. Let's let's talk about um you mentioned two things earlier in the show, travel corridors and hunter access. So these are things that, that, that we as land managers have control over at this point in our, our season, right? Yep. So yep. Um, good. Go ahead. I, I was say, just going to say <laughs> you, you go. You too. Okay. Okay. Uh, so yeah, with like those travel corridors and the hunter access, if say it's something that you've established in the springtime, or uh, years before, right now is a great time to just like periodically go out and make sure that those are being well maintained. You know, when we start getting these storms and stuff that roll in, you don't know when trees are going to fall over, uh, especially a travel corridor. That's important because you want deer to be so comfortable on those for as long as possible that if a a major tree fall or something like that is dehabilitating their, their access on that travel route. Well, they're just going to start using somewhere else and it's going to make that less effective. So now that's why I said like is a great time for that maintenance. And you can kind of see like, how are the travel corridors working? And then you're kind of back to that. Okay. We're predicting what parts of the property the deer are going to use later in the year. Um, kind of when that shift starts to happen, you know, from these summer ranges and they start to get into more of that bed to food, especially like the bucks, like what we're all after, you know, when are they going to start using those and make sure that they're going to use them the way that we want to. Now, will you manipulate like the travel corridors with, with brush piles or taking trees down if you need to redirect deer traffic? Is that something that you advocate for? Yeah. Um, so you can either, so I like to pair it, especially when I get into like the Southern parts of the state, 
I really like to pair it with uh, topography and expect like when you start to get that rocky outcrop, uh, you can use trees and kind of follow them in a way that it makes it really easy to direct that deer travel right where you want it to go. Cause when they have like that rocky outcrop or a steep slope, they already don't want to go or can't go that way. And now you're just like making an even sweeter route for them. And you're really just able to narrow down that uh, where they, where you want them to travel. And I kind of like to work backwards from those travel routes to how I'm going to access the spot or how I'm going to draw up the plan for the hunter to access his spot uh, to kind of use that to, to topography to his advantage, but then also for the deer's advantage while they're using that travel corridor. So for the guys that don't have the rocky outcrops and all that kind of stuff, maybe they're hunting a farm, western part of the state or relatively flat, you know, mowing, I know that's a, a big portion of, you know, cutting paths and different things like that. I've always heard deer take the path of least resistance, that kind of stuff. Yep. On, uh, you know, your home lawn, you're, you're mowing once a week or, or more uh, generally. When you're doing paths and stuff like that, depending on what kind of equipment and stuff you're using, should that be on a regular basis, like once a week, once a month? Uh, how, how often should you be messing around with that in there? Yeah, you know, that's obviously uh, it's going to be situational based off of uh, what, time, what type of vegetation you're talking about. Um, but typically, like, it's not something you need to do all of the time. Uh, one, because you don't want to just be out, out there all the time, kind of messing up the interior part of your property. Uh, but two, a lot of that is good natural browse for the deer uh, while they're just kind of walking down those trails. And if you get that like grassy type vegetation, they're just going to pick their way across it right now, but you get them using that trail. So uh, really it's, it's, so it's, I like to look at like, as long as the trail isn't overwhelmingly thick or you have like brush coming over the top, you know, like you get in those honeysuckle thickets in the central western part of the state or those uh, tall briar patch patches next to fields and stuff like that. And you can blaze a trail through those. And like you said, the path of least resistance, it's the same thing as a deer walking around an outcrop. Um, it's just this is on flat ground like that is their resistance. But if they want to get to what's on the other side of that thick patch, if you blaze a trail for them. I mean, they're going to, they're going to start using that trail. All right. You mentioned something in there, honeysuckle, invasive species management, and it's a hot topic. We hear a lot about it in different parts of the, you know, all kinds of stuff. But when it comes to plants, you got to be able to, if you're going to attack an invasive species, honeysuckle, I mean, it could be any one of the weeds. We were talking about thistle earlier. You got to hit it when it's growing, right? Mm -hmm. So right now i've always been told thistle um if you're trying to take that out uh you know from the weed perspective you got to hit it right when it's about to flower because it's exerted all of its energy up and it's time to, to knock it back um are there other plants it, 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 basically are herbicide applications or invasive species management is right now a good time for that or is there a better time throughout the year uh you know, again, unfortunately, like all of these questions are situational based off of like where you are, what you have for property, because I don't know, I look at like the invade and this might not be a very popular opinion, but if the invasive species is managed in a way where you can have it contained, 
but you can still use it to the advantage of your habitat, then removing it can dehabilitate like the how good your whitetail property is. Um, so that's like a just a way that I look at it because I see a lot of deer in like those honeysuckle patches and stuff just because like for us to walk through it, there's just it's not possible. And if you do go through it, you're crawling and you're making a bunch of noise. And it's like, those are great safe zones for deer to escape to. So it's like, man, if I can just contain that, like that's a natural bedding area that deer already want to use. Let me just go in there and make a couple extra little pockets, some entry exit trails. And man, they're going to just start loving places like that. So from a, from managing an invasive species, uh, perspective that might not be like the best approach but for overall habitat and like the performance of your property if it makes the most sense you know if you have 10 acres and you got a three acre honeysuckle patch man maybe you start finding ways to use that to your advantage rather than getting rid of it now that a plus aspect of your property is just eliminated an interesting perspective i like honeysuckle to turkey hunt out of i will say that yeah it is nice it it is a it is a cool little thing to it's a love yeah it's a love love hate relationship i guess so right that's why it's like man i don't i don't want to like step on any toes because i know like from a from an invasive management perspective like it might not be the best approach but man if like for me being the deer nut that i'm in if the deer nut that i am if the deer likes something and i can use it to my advantage why would I remove it? You know, so selfishly, selfishly speaking, um, that's, that's one of the ways I can look at it. And I, I I don't disagree with you on that. I'm, I'm just thinking, and this is something I've always struggled with. You know, we hear about planting native plants and all that kind of stuff. And don't get me wrong. They're invasive plants. You're ready to put in Sudan grass, man. You, you sold, sold a ship down the river. That'll frost and die. It'll be gone. (laughs) Uh, but things like honeysuckle that don't really provide, a food benefit for many of our native animals, but they will, you know, offer cover. So that's, you know, something, but any of these invasive that are choking out your spring ephemerals and different things like that, man, it's, it's weird. And then you're just fighting mother nature. And it's like, would that plant have gotten here anyways? We can point fingers at how it got here in the first place or, right. I don't know, man, it gets, yeah, uh, just a challenge. Start looking down the evolutional timeline and you're like, I mean, is it, does everything I'm doing here really matter? You know, right. the, the Emerald Ash Borer was going to come here at some point, right? And it just, maybe uh, we, we just might've fast forwarded it. So, yeah. yeah. But. So Greg, let's, let's talk about, um, let's talk about hunter access. And so if I'm looking at hunter access and in conjunction with, with stand locations. So if you've got new, new access to a property, like you know, when are you picking stand locations and what are you looking for? So if like, say if a property is already has like a plan intact, I like to develop these travel corridors, bedding areas, where the food is and how that all connects and then pick those optimal stand locations off of that i mean every property is going to have like just those slam dunk spots for me i can just like walk up and look at a tree and be like that's it you know that's the one let's find a way to make this spot work but once the deer start to use a property the way that they want to use it 
that's where you can kind of like start to pick apart just a little at a time. And even like to me, I would rather have, you know, two to three just bulletproof A plus spots that are on predominant travel corridors rather than just like 10 average spots. It's a quality over quantity for me. Um, whether I'm designing a property or I'm hunting it myself, I just really want to make sure that that access doesn't any way affect the, how the deer are using the property. Really good way to do that is try to go at it as like a access perpendicular to the way that the deer are, are uh, walking through that zone. So if a deer trail is east to west, try to come in from the south to north or north to south, whatever the edge of your property and the wind provides for you, get that perpendicular access. And what that's going to allow you to do is not cross paths with the deer um, because they're, they're moving the opposite direction in front of you. It's good stuff. Months you've got, you've got kind of a small, several small properties that, that, that you hunt are, are, I mean, do you feel like you're kind of limited to stand locations? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, no. <laughs> so uh, I'm all about so what, that tree. I got one, one or two trees. We're going to make yeah. them work now. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so Greg, what are, what are things that, that hunters can do if they are hunting those small properties, um, that they're, they're, you know, they're those imaginary lines or actual fences or whatever it may be. Um, what are some things that, that hunters can do or look for to, to kind of change those tables and, and their odds for being in the right spot. Yeah, man, I like to, and that this kind of like ties into the whole, what can you do in the summertime to get the most out of your hunting season? And I love to take, the, cause I do, I mean, I just obsess over deer all year long. Like it's just my jam. So I'm just always into it. Um, I know like a lot of people aren't spending as much time as I do, but take the summertime to really l- reflect on the past seasons of the property and how you're anticipating it based off of this year's food sources. You know, like, are we dealing with a dry year this year? Um, You can kind of anticipate, is that going to affect the crops? Is that going to affect the, uh, the mass production in the hardwoods? And you can kind of start to predict what is going to happen come the fall time to determine like, okay, this zone of my property, whether it's 10 acres or hundred acres is probably going to be that hot zone. So let me figure out how to access this the best way. Um, so I do a lot of hunting out on public land actually. And like what I do at this time of the year, um, cause I've been, I've been coming down to Ohio even before I moved down here for a few years where I have like these zones picked out that I know are just going to annually have deer living in them and more than likely a buck that I want to chase. So like I'll go out there right now and kind of plan my access in and I'll like mock run in there, you know, like I'm not going to tie the stand or anything on my back, but I'm going to walk through the landscape and see like exactly, okay, this is what the wind is doing actually on a southwest wind. Like I'm bringing that milkweed with me. I call it wind mapping. And I'm seeing like how those thermals and wind is happening. So if there's like a hidden, if there's a hidden thing that's hurting me at that time, I know when it doesn't matter. 
the beauty about these private land plans that I draw up is that you have the ability to manipulate the landscape and you have the ability to access however you want without worrying about other people just kind of like blowing your setup up. So if you aren't afraid to just kind of like go out and spend a little time on the exterior part of your property in the summer, I mean, man, you can get so much good intel from like wind mapping, just observing what's going on, looking at tracks, everything like that. Um, I just tried like in a nutshell, if you can just find out where the deer don't want to walk and you walk there, (laughs) (laughs) that's, that's like the best hunter access you can draw up. Let's let's talk about that that summer months. Did you have something? Because we're getting no. ready to chase a rabbit down the trail, man. Greg, if you're ready, you let me know. Oh, I'm um, I'm all I'm always ready. <laughs> so the the public land summer scouting, uh, that's mm-hmm. that's something that that I've tried to put some effort into the last couple of years. Um, I'm fascinated. I, I like your idea of of running through just like a mock entrance into the woods. Um, what's the wind doing talk about that wind mapping a little a little bit more um if if you've got any anything left to talk about that's 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 very because an idiot like me i go out you know on the day of the hunt you know and i'm like oh okay that's what it does you throw throw them out yeah. i'm like oh, okay yep. but i've already like ruined the entire yeah. area because i just yeah. stomped over <laughs> so uh what i'll what i'll do i have a i have just like a good story example of how this worked out really good for me um unfortunately it just didn't bring in the buck that i wanted uh so it happened last year i found this white oak ridge uh that was just like red hot uh like a week and a half before season last year that i glassed the uh the private egg around it all summer there's just some hammer bucks hanging out and I just, and there wasn't a lot of timber there. So I knew that if there were deer hanging out there still, and if there was oaks in there, I'm like, that's going to be a great spot to be. I had a camera collecting data in there all summer and I had these bucks on camera. But anyway, what I did the few weeks before the season opened was I walked in there with my milkweed on a solid West wind, like a good, probably 15 mile hour west wind at like three in the afternoon right about the time i would be headed in there and how this worked is the oak ridge was like a flat on the top but it was almost like a washout next to it and it went right down to a creek bottom and um what i noticed when i was up on top of that oak flat was it was a straight west wind like i said i could stand on the edge of that flat and my milkweed would drop right down that washout, which was directly northwest. So almost complete opposite direction of the wind. So it was like that light bulb moment instantly went off. Like I can come in here on a strong west wind and my my scent is going to blow the opposite direction, but those bucks are going to walk right out of their bedding area and they're going to come out on this oak ridge before hitting the beans. And it's like slam dunk because it's going to work perfect, right? And it did, uh, just unfortunately it wasn't the buck I was after. You know, I, I actually hunted this spot for the first, uh, like 10 days of season morning and night. And I had this bulletproof access and every single day I seen like somewhere between four to seven of these bucks, but it was never, never the shooter. Um, I, I had like two encounters with what I thought was him, but it was like right before, right after legal shooting light. And it was just too dark to see. But, I mean, to be in the game like that consistently on a piece of public and have bulletproof access like that, 
that was all the proof I needed to be like, man, this wind mapping stuff works. And what you see on the weather channel, or even if you feel it as you're walking, like that subtle uh, topo change where there's that washout, it can completely pull your scent the opposite direction. And it's like, that's the, that's the deer's weakness because they don't know that's what's going on. But like, we're able to kind of collect those thoughts and break things down like that. Even if it takes us a while, sometimes we're still able to do that. And that put me in a position to take a buck um, if I wanted to, or I was just waiting on that bigger guy. That's very fascinating. And yeah. it's way more than my pea brain can handle at this point. Oh man. Yeah. That's uh <laughs> that's, that's left me up many, many sleepless nights. You know, that's 1130. <laughs> I'm laying in bed, looking at the ceiling. I look at my wife. I'm like, I got it. I'm going to, I'm going to get it. All right. You know, Buddy, like, I Greg, figured go, it out. Greg, yeah. Greg, go to sleep. You're not going to do it. You know, <laughs> Now, one of the things you talked about in there last year, you had beans in that field, right? So whether it's public or private or whatever, crop rotation, a lot of times we go in from corn to beans or beans to corn, vice versa. If that field that, you know, and that could be, we'll pretend that your public land is actually somebody's private land. You going to modify anything there based on this year, if it's corn? Uh, yeah, could because the other factor that you have in too is, is are those white oaks going to produce like, like they did in 2022? Um, you don't you don't know until you know, and that's the other value of the summer scouting I've found is it takes a little bit for them to start to develop. But man, once you start to get into like that end, of, I love to go out like excuse me, like end of July area after a great big windstorm, wind and rain, when some of those branches drop off the oak trees. And that's just like free intel to be like, oh, yep, this one's going to have it. This one's going to have it. And I can start marking those spots out. And I have an idea now. It's like if I'm trying to scout 100 acres and that has 500 oak trees on it, you know, well, if I can narrow that down to like, okay, out of those 500 oak trees, I only found 30 that are dropping leaves that have acorns on them. So now I only have to scout. 10 15 of that 100 acres i'm just narrowing it down and pinching it down um to back to that like i'm predicting where the deer are going to spend the time once that summer shift switches to that fall shift got something on i i got all kinds of stuff. i know I'm you just, do i know you're I i'm know trying you're to think there, if i need to elaborate any more on that so let's just say that that oak tree is still hot right you still got you got another year good good production of acorns out of that are you does the corn come into play at all it can yeah um man it's like it's so hard for me because i've i've experienced deer in egg fields when every like anything you read or hear people talk about on podcasts like you're never going to see a deer eating beans at x date at this time and it's like Oh, looking through my binoculars, there's one right there, you know? So that's why it's so hard about like listening to podcasts. I love, it's like a love hate relationship because I get so much good information, but it took me so long to realize that you can't take everything word for word and just drop it into what you have going on. You have to like pick out those little parts of how can I use this to like like a almost like a bullet point list like next time i go out into the woods i remember when greg said this this and this how can i use that here and you still have to like have that 
application of the knowledge and try to learn when you're out there, not just like take that information in. And that's like a, that's a big thing I try to do when I walk a client's property with them is I don't want to just go out there to just like draw up the plan. I want to go out there and try to like help them understand why the deer are doing what they're doing. So that way they have a little bit more intention behind the plan that they're drawn off. Gotcha. So if you pick up a new property, let's say just picked it up on July 1st and I mean, I'm going to, we'll just try to make it situational. Um, you know, we'll say the, the, the landowner is basically going to give you the run of the mill to do what you want within reason, right? They don't want you to clear cut the whole place and make a giant food plot. But, um, what are some things that people should be considering if they've got a new property cutting, you know, shooting lanes is always something I've thought about, like your access. Is there anything else they can do at this point in the year to improve that? Um, is it, you know, cut a tree here and there trying to try and redirect the deer or what would you do in that situation? I guess or is it just going to be situational. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be situational, but just like from a 10,000 foot overhead view, a really good opportunity to, even if like worst case scenario, you're just starting to gain inventory. Um, if you get like that first look at the property and you can reasonably predict like, okay, this is how I think the deer are going to move through here. And you can create those travel corridors. Like, I don't think that you're going to do any harm by creating travel routes for the deer at any point because it doesn't take long. I mean, you can like look around and you can, uh, you can see like any kind of video of somebody saying like, I just cut this down and like 20 minutes later a deer showed up. Well, that's because there's food that you drop when you cut that tree down. So same thing if you're opening up that trail, whether it's cutting through a brush thicket or cutting trees down and open up a hill. If you make that trail, you can also add in a mock scrape and you just make that mock scrape so deliberate that they can't miss it. Like put it right smack dab in the middle of that travel corridor and they're going to start to use it. And once they start to use it, that mock scrape location, like in a full good plan, I love to draw those up in places that you're going to hunt because it gives the reason the deer a reason to stop. But worst case, if you just are getting that property July 1st, and if you can have that set up in the right area where deer are using you're at least going to start to get inventory and you're going to know like, okay, these are, these are the bucks that I'm working with this year. They're at least on the property right now. So you mentioned the mock scrape and love it or hate it. Ohio is a bait state. Yeah. If you were to incorporate that into your property, private property, when would you suggest starting to put out a salt lick, a pile of corn, anything like that? So that kind of works the same way. Um, as far as like an inventory standpoint, that's like, like you said, you know, love it or hate it. It is what it is. Uh, I, I personally don't do much with like the corn, but what's so hard about it, especially if you're in an area where you got a lot of hunters around, you just know like, well, if I'm not doing it, A, B and C down the road are. So what am I missing out on if I don't have something to attract them? Um, so really, I mean, if you're willing to put that effort in to have that attractant on your property, I don't think there's a wrong time to get started with it. Um, especially like if you're talking about the minerals and everything, man, when you can help them with that growth, then you're just doing yourself favors for years and years to come, um, by continuously giving them that. And what it's doing is it's just 
it's making deer feel comfortable on your property. So that's where it's like you're creating this system throughout your property. And if you have that mineral lick or if you are going with like the corn or whatever it may be, you're getting deer to move through your property and nothing's bothering them. So come the fall time, they're not going to be weirded out. Uh, if you have that good hunter access, you're not going to be weirded out about walking through your property because they've already done it for the last six, seven months. Got it. Paul, you got any uh, other important questions? Because if not, I've got a couple little random. No, I'm just I'm just going to start wind mapping. My little <laughs> brain's out, man. I, that's just, that's my biggest bummer. weakness, I think, on 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 because I hunt a lot of public. Is that you know scouting it and a lot of that's just time right scouting it during the summer you know how how the woods changed since last year taking in all of that you know the historical data and making new decisions uh you know this year that's and and you know how the wind moves and and you know that's that's uh that was good yeah. man i really uh, that. so a little bit more context on that i'm like a big excel nerd too so oh, oh i'm sure you are i could i knew it i was gonna ask yeah. you what kind of data points are you collecting every time you go yeah. out Um, so like over the years I've developed this, like my own little program that if somebody else looked at it, they would just be like, this, this doesn't make any sense, but it makes so much sense to me. It's like a combination of Excel data, uh, Google earth pro and my Onyx, And it's all like kind of linked together. Like I said, in my own weird way, but it tells me that historical data of like what we were talking about a little bit ago, like that spot I was telling you like, will your plans change this year with that crop rotation with it being corn? Well, that's where I look back at my little program I have here and I can say, okay, what was going on last time this was corn? And if, you know, last year I had all these good bucks on camera and it was beans, but the year before that, there's half the amount of bucks. Well, I can start to attribute that to the corn because that's the only thing that was different. So it's like I use Excel to kind of like, pick out those differences and once you have that again it starts to like stack those odds in your favor or it's like i know i don't have to waste my time there because this spot has all these other factors going for it on the plus side of things all right i'm gonna get you off the wind mapping paul now greg (laughs) i asked tyler god i want to ask you more questions (laughs) i asked tyler and casey from the element a couple weeks ago what's your favorite tree to hunt out of favorite type of tree man that's such a hard question it's a it's going to be a weird answer for me but for some odd reason i feel like i get the best hunts if i can hunt out of like a just a tiny janky little apple tree it's super weird really weird but i like can get into this area where i'm just like man and this is on public land not on private if I'm on private, I'm not going to set somebody up in a janky apple tree, I promise. Um, this, is, this is for pure selfish reasons, but it's like if I get into an area and I'm just like, I know this is where I have to be, there's always just this weird, crooked apple tree there. I'm like, I got, I got to get in that, and it always works out. I don't know why, but it always ends up being that weird little apple tree. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep asking that question, Paul, and I, I'm going to guess that Greg might be the only person that says weird janky apple tree, so... I think so. Um, Everyone's going to have something different. It, yeah. If you looked at it from the ground or if I took pictures of them, you'd be like, there's no way I would hunt out that thing. But yeah, uh, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. <laughs> right. 
So we've talked a lot about different types of trees and that kind of stuff. Do you have, uh, for the somebody who's not schooled or educated in tree identification, I think it can be somewhat nauseating as far as, well, how do I even know what an apple tree is if it doesn't have apples hanging from it? Or you mm-hmm. know, the differences between white oaks, red oaks, maples, uh, beech trees, go down the line. Um, ash trees, if you find any of those, you're not going to have any leaves to work off of. Be sure as hell don't want to climb one. Um, do you have an, an app or is there a good resource that you suggest people go to uh, to help them identify trees when they're out doing this, this summer scouting and, and habitat management? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I use, it's called Plant ID. It's just a free app in the app store. Uh, you do have to be connected to the internet to make it work. But uh, if you don't have internet, wherever you're out scouting, walking around or whatever, you can just take the picture and put it into the app later. And that did a really good job for me getting over that learning curve. Um, I didn't, I found that to be so much more useful for like my learning style than reading everything in a book. Because when I read a book, it's like, you know, I'm reading it from front to back, but actually retaining the info I read is a lot different than it's like, oh, I can pull out my phone and I can take a picture of this and it's going to instantly tell me what it is. And then I can connect that leaf or bark or whatever it may be because that app actually works for bark too. I've noticed if you get a good clear picture of a tree, it's not as accurate as the leaves, but it can still give you relative accuracy where you know if it's like, is this a feed tree or is this not a feed tree kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's a that's an important thing. And I mean, that's what I went to school for and I probably forgot half of what I learned at one point. So um, never hurts to, to brush up on some of that stuff. But Definitely. Oh, well, I, that's all I got, Paul. You got anything else? No, I, I, Greg, where can people find you on social media? That was a great talk. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so I, I've been a little bit inactive on my Instagram over the summertime. Um, I, I've found that it's hard to keep people engaged with the whitetail content all summer long. So I kind of tone her back a little bit and just, uh, save up a lot of my stuff from the fall. But I, I stay most active on there, and that's going to be uh, it's Whitetail underscore Partners underscore Ohio. And then uh, the other thing I started doing, I started putting out more like blog articles on our website, which is WhitetailPartners.com. Uh, you can go to the Learning Center, and it actually has links to like all the podcasts that we've done. Uh, we're nice. starting to make more YouTube videos, and then like I said, we're putting articles out there. Just like good general info, um, just a good place to organize notes and everything, and then just kind of put some stuff out there for guys if they're interested in, in learning a little different way. Uh, but if you ever have any questions or anything, you know, you can um, just get a hold of me on Instagram, just shoot me a DM, and I'm always always happy to talk about deer with somebody other than myself in the mirror. So feel free to <laughs> feel free to reach out. Uh, Greg, I've really appreciated this, man. We'll uh, we'll have to get you back on to talk about some more pub land hunting stuff. So yeah, I, I would love that. That's my bread and butter, man. That that sounds good to me. Good deal. Appreciate Greg, it. Greg, thanks for your time, man. Take care.